and welcome back to OT in the Brain. Over the last few weeks, we have defined neuroocupation. From there, we dived into how the brain connectome was developed and how we are able to change the connectome through neuroplasticity. We know that when the brain or the body is injured, that a critical period is initiated, and the changes that occur during that time will be relatively permanent. From there, we also learned that practice makes permanent is the driving force behind how we, as therapists, are able to make changes to the brain networks to facilitate functional outcomes and help our patient return to what they want to be doing. This week, we are going to start to see neuroocupation in action. We are going to talk about how we go about making decisions and what this means for us as occupational therapists. So why is motivation so important? We have talked before regarding how occupations are meaningful. For an activity to be meaningful, they must be stimulating, either physically or mentally. They must also be rewarding in some way. When we complete something that is meaningful, we get good feelings. And finally, an activity that is meaningful facilitates relaxation and reduces stress. This is important to us as occupational therapists because we use meaningful activities as a way of treatment to help our patients get back to doing what they want to do. We also talked about how the brain networks pass through the limbic system, where actions are attached to emotion and meaning. It is this emotion and meaning that helps to solidify and strengthen the connections and in- connections, and the connections end up influencing our behavior. And we decide what behaviors we are going to engage in based on how motivated we are. But where does this motivation come from? We have talked about how our past experiences help to determine our future behaviors. Our past experiences provide the foundation for future behaviors to occur. Let's break this down some more. Within our brain, we have two systems. One is the unconscious, and the other is the conscious. The unconscious system is fully established, but we have no control over it. It is our intuition, and it runs with our conscious mind without our conscious mind interfering. Our brain picks up on unconscious cues in the environment and steers behavior. For example, you do not put a lot of mental energy into making your daily driving commute to work. Why? Because your unconscious brain automatically makes these decisions regarding basic routine behaviors and saves you mental energy so that you can be more efficient. Other signs of unconscious decision making are through gut feelings and hunches. These are our emotional responses or intuition to unconscious decisions. We may not know why a decision is the right one, but we know that it is. It's difficult to pinpoint or verbalize because it is unconscious. On the other hand, there is the conscious system that rules over the unconscious system. This system is designed to react to things that go beyond the daily details. The conscious system allows you to react to things that are outside of your normal. For example, when there is an accident or construction on your daily driving commute, you consciously become more aware so that you can change your behavior to fit the circumstance so that you're able to find another way to work. So how can we relate this motivation? How can we relate this to motivation? Motivation is the result of benefit versus cost. As human beings, we want the most benefit for the least amount of cost. We want the most reward with the lowest perceived difficulty. Why is this? On a neurological level, when something turns out better than we expected, our dopamine levels increase, which increases the reward value of that decision, which makes it more motivating. The opposite is true when something turns out worse than we expected. Our dopamine levels decrease, which decreases the reward value and that behavior becomes less motivating. We learn from the consequences of our past behaviors. And our past behaviors help to conduct our future behaviors through motivation. But what else do we know about motivation? 
we know that it operates on a hierarchy. Maslow's hierarchy of needs outlines how motivation works in a pyramid form. At the bottom of the pyramid are your phys physiological functions, hunger, sleep, thirst. From there, as the pyramid built up, you have safety, love and belonging, esteem, and then self-actualization. This relates to motivation in that you are first going to be motivated by that bottom level, those physiological functions. Once those are attained, then you move up the pyramid. In order to be motivated by any of the higher pieces, esteem or self-actualization, you must first establish the bottom. You aren't going to be motivated to do all of your homework to the best of your ability if you are hungry, tired, or need to use the restroom. We also know that humans are innately motivated to engage in occupation. This operates on the unconscious level. We, as human beings, enjoy being part of a productive being part of productive activities throughout the day. And that's the basis behind occupational therapy, right? We use activities that we do every day to provide a therapeutic function. We also know that there can be a disruption to our motivation. We call this an internal conflict. Usually, an internal conflict takes place between our reason and our emotion. This conflict can impact our motivation and our ability to make good decisions. To consistently make good decisions, we rely on our willpower. Willpower is our ability to control or restrain impulses. Willpower allows us to fight against the power of the now and delay gratification for the future. The problem with willpower is that it takes a lot of mental effort and mental energy to maintain. The constant use of willpower can cause mental fatigue, which impacts our physical energy. If your pool of willpower is low, because you have been making decisions all day, then you are more likely to give in to the power of now, instead of waiting for something better. You see this with diets all the time. You start off the day really strong. You get up, you work out, you eat a healthy breakfast. Your willpower motivates you to do all of that for the sake of delayed gratification. You work out because you want to look better in a couple of months. However, as the day goes on, it becomes harder and harder to continue to make those good, healthy decisions for that delayed gratification. That's because you use so much of your willpower in the morning that there is less mental energy to continue to do so during the afternoon, and you are more likely to give in to those sweets and salty cravings come the afternoon and evening. The good news is that willpower is like a muscle. It can be strengthened with practice and time, just like any other muscle, and we as occupational therapists work to do this with our patients. So how does all this stuff about motivation relate back to occupational therapy? Well, like we said before, humans are naturally motivated to pursue and participate in occupations. We find these occupations to be very rewarding and are motivated to participate. We as occupational therapists want to use this motivation to promote our patients' active participation in our session. But how do we go about doing this? First, we have to understand what meaningful occupations are. Remember, each of us has a brain, and that brain was formed based off of our own unique experiences. Due to that, each of us find different activities to be meaningful, and we prioritize these activities differently based off of their level of meaning. As an OT, we want to figure out what our patient prioritizes and what activities they find to be meaningful. We do, th we do this through the use of motivational interview to develop an occupational profile. Motivational interviewing is a collaborative process between the therapist and patient that incorporates reflective listening and empathy. It's client-centered and non-judgmental so that it builds trust, increases readiness to change, and increases self-efficacy. It elicits change of talk, or talk of change. 
This is the first step to keeping our treatments client-centered. We want to know what motivates a patient. We want to know the client's perspective, priorities, and understanding of their own experience. We want insight into their brain connectome and why it is structured the way it is. What are the motivating factors behind their behavior? Secondly, we want our patients to be motivated by therapy and to decide to participate. We know that our behavior is deciding what to participate in. We know that our behavior in deciding what to participate in is motivated by the potential reward. With willpower, we are able to delay gratification for the future and resist the temptation of the now. As occupational therapists, we want to help our patients make this decision by making sure they know what the potential rewards are from participating therapy. We want to make, make the rewards relevant both for the future with long-term recovery, but also for the now by the end of this session. This will make our patient more motivated to participate because they get rewards on both ends, the now and delayed gratification. But how do we go about doing this? We use occupation, an inherently motivating activity. As we do this, we should make sure our patient is comfortable and have their lower level needs met. Remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? If your patient is tired or hungry, they're going to be less likely to want to participate in a therapy session that is aimed towards self-esteem and self-actualization. We want to meet our patient where they are at and utilize what is motivating them at that moment. Through this, we want to tap into existing pathways and habits that are already going to be motivating for the patient. If they need to use the restroom, then we can structure our session around that. We can use the restroom and then we can go to the sink, standing and wash our hands, wash our face and all of that. And then we have a whole entire session based off of routines and habits that are already motivating to the patient. In addition, we want to make our patient successful by grading activities to the just right challenge. This will help promote dopamine release and increase perceived reward, making the activity and participating in therapy even more motivating because they're successful. They got something out of it right away. And finally, we want to increase the reward through achievable goals and shift thinking from instant gratification to delayed gratification for their future and with their recovery. This includes the strengthening of our patient's willpower. Our initial sessions may be based on fulfilling immediate needs, such as toileting and those basic ADLs. But as your patient progresses and participates in therapy more, you can shift the focus of your session to more of a long-term recovery focus, such as safety awareness, cognition, IADL training that incorporates delayed gratification with activities that your patient finds meaningful. So today, we talked about what makes activities motivating and how we make decisions based off of this motivation. As occupational therapists, we want to understand our own patient's motivation and use that to promote participation in therapy on a regular basis. We want to make therapy meaningful to the patient as much as possible so that they get the most reward for their effort. Next time, we are going to talk about how we can utilize mirror neurons throughout our interventions to promote performance. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you will tune in again next time.